0: So we'll be in Acts chapter 1 today, uh, and we will be covering one verse, all right? We'll be covering one verse in chapter 1, and we'll get there in in just a second. Uh, But how many of you know what happened um, on June 29th, 2007? Um, Some of you are are looking at it, actually. That was the date that the first iPhone released. And... uh, I think all of us in here would say that literally that release changed the world. True? Untrue? No, true, right? If you, if you, yeah, if you're living or breathing, you know that that actually changed. In fact, statistics would say of cell phone users, right, those who would hold mobile devices, that in 2016, 82%, 82% of people at that point in 2016, so three years ago, held a smartphone And and, and it's absolutely changed everything, right? Connectedness, um, the way that we communicate, right? Even today, some of you are going to be using and reading the scriptures, right, on your smartphone, right? Others, you're going to be doing other things totally not related to church on your iPhone while I talk. Um,
1: But it it, it
0: changed the world, right? And uh, I would wonder uh, how we would describe Christianity. Would we really describe Christianity as we know it? Over the last 2,000 plus years that it has existed past Christ, as world-changing, right? I mean, it was it was pretty resounding, at least from up here, all of you going, "Yes, the iPhone has like changed the world," right? When I said Christianity and world-changing, I don't know that there was the same response. And not that because you're not convinced of it, it's maybe that we have just forgotten it. And what I'm most maybe excited about in the Book of Acts is it takes us back to the beginning to the start of christianity where 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 the holy spirit falls on a group of people and the church begins but i want us to be careful not to view acts simply as a history simply as something of us just looking back but acts in looking back also is faithful because of the spirit of god to give us a picture and a way forward As a church, as the people of God. You see, Sam, in in his prayer even, and when we were singing these songs, was talking about us literally shaking this kind of apathetic, let's be honest, kind of ho-hum, maybe journey, you call Christianity. Acts, if we'll allow the Spirit to do this, will dump kerosene on our walk with Jesus. It will dump kerosene on our church. And listen, fire can be one of two things, right? It can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And for some of you, it is going to be a really sweet, beautiful thing because it's going to ignite and it's going to burn away those things that just don't matter for others of you. It's going to be a fire that you're going to reject, if I'm being honest. It's going to be something that you just go, listen, if that's Christianity, if that's what it looks like, if that's the movement both, both historically and forward, you know, I'm not sure I'm on board. I'm not sure, I'm not sure really that that's it. And, and let me tell you, as elders and pastors and teachers, we're okay with that. We're okay as long as the Holy Spirit is clarifying who he is and what he's about faithfully through the scriptures. So we're stoked. And so let's begin our journey in Acts. You ready? You ready for this? All right, so the book of Acts was written uh, by a writer named Luke. It's the same Luke that the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, carries his name. And if you'll see in in your Bible, and this won't actually be up on the screen, and I'm actually going to preach through verses 1 through 11 next week, but Acts is written to the same man that the Gospel of Luke is written to, Theophilus. And Luke, the writer of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, which, by the way, is, are, are really volumes one and volumes two in Luke's writing, all right, is written to this man, Theophilus. Theophilus, the name itself means lover of God, or, or, or another a translation would be dear to God. And what we know about Theophilus most likely, because he hired Luke to write the Gospel and the book of Acts, most likely is that Theophilus is a very wealthy man. He's a very wealthy man, and, 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 and for all practical purposes, he's probably a new believer as well. And he has summoned Luke, right? Luke, who is a physician, and not just a physician, he is a brilliant historian, a brilliant writer. Theophilus has summoned or hired Luke to write an account of this, this This world-changing thing that's happening, known as Christianity, this sweep through the known world, Theophilus is going, listen, this has changed my life. This is changing those lives around me. It's sweeping all the way to Rome. Listen, Luke, I want to know how this thing happened. What was the beginning of that, right, going back to the Gospel of Luke? I want to know what its movements have been up until this day. I want to see how this spread, this world change has really taken place. And so Luke endeavors faithfully by the Spirit of the living God to write down the Gospel of Luke and what we're going to be studying, the book of Acts. And so we are going to be asking of Luke, right, in the book of Acts, really the same question. How in the world did a group, a band of misfits, 12 guys, one who, went, who, who, who left or abandoned Jesus, how did it literally go from those 12 guys, those disciples, to a worldwide movement where even today there have been billions of followers on every continent? What in the world happened? Luke, tell us, word of God, tell us, how does this thing sweep throughout the known world? And I think what Luke is going to tell us as we peer into the book of Acts is this. Look at the words of Jesus. You want to know how? You want to know this sweep? You want to know how this is is the most world-changing thing in history? Look at the words of Jesus. And Jesus is going to point to three things. Three things. And so let's pick up at Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and we'll read to verse 8. And we're just reading verse 4 to 8 for context. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is Jesus talking after the resurrection, Right? before he has ascended into heaven. So he's talking with his his disciples. In verse 6, we're getting to the ascension, right? Jesus' final words, right? To answer that question, like, Luke, how did this happen? How does this continue to happen in our day? We look to the words of Jesus. Check this out. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you stay at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, Jesus saying to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. And this is the one verse I'm going to teach through today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That verse, put it up, Acts 1-8, is where we are going to marinate, if you will, today. We're going to find the answer to that question. Listen, how did this spread? How is this continuing to spread to this day? How is this going to change and transform the Parks Church, us corporately, you and I individually? How is it? What what is it that, that, that takes place? And Luke goes, listen, listen to the words of Jesus. There are three things. And the first thing you notice in this verse is Jesus saying, you will receive power. You will receive power when what happens? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Right? I don't think I'm jumping too far ahead. In Acts chapter 2, listen, the Holy Spirit does come, and the disciples, along with 120 other people, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the disciples in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke does this intentionally, I believe. You look at them, even nearing the end of the Gospel of Luke, you see these men, and, and they are, they're kind of timid. They're kind of, uh, 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 there's a streak of fearfulness, if you will, in them. There's this this reluctancy. There's this denial even with Peter, right? And Jesus here is going, listen, there is going to be a stark difference from the end of Luke, from the lives of these disciples pre-Holy Spirit coming and descending upon them, and post when the Holy Spirit comes. Why? Because the power of God is going to reside within them, and you see it. We're going to walk through it for nearly a year and a half of seeing the boldness, the, 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 the literal courage of these men who are full of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You can see this difference. Now, Jesus says, listen, this mission that I've called you to, This task, this goal, you can go to the end of of the Gospel of Matthew with the great commission, or you can come here to to Acts chapter 1-8, the mission he's called you to. He's going, listen, it is impossible. It is impossible to accomplish Park's church, Christ's follower, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit being in your life or in your church. It's impossible apart from that. The Spirit or the Holy Spirit is used over 50 times in the book of Acts. Right? And if you've studied or read your Bible at all, that's not shocking to you, but that should tell us something about what the point of this book is. Jim, if you can, go back to the, the title slide. Now, in your Bible, if you look at it like mine, on the top, it says, the Acts of the what? Any of you have it? Acts of the what? The Acts of the Apostles, right? And and, and while I'm not into, by the way, that wasn't inspired writing by Luke, okay? That was added later, okay? So I'm not messing with the scripture here, but I'm messing with a title, okay? Listen, there are no acts of the apostles apart from the acts of the Holy Spirit. And so theologians and scholars will debate that a better title actually for the book of Acts is actually the acts of the Holy Spirit. And I agree with those smart folks, all right? that the acts of the holy spirit are the thing that empowered the acts of the apostles. Do you want to know the earliest the earliest manuscripts we have of Acts? You want to know what the title read? It just read praxis. Praxis, meaning practice, meaning acts, meaning things that flow from obedience. That's what takes place and so no that's why we're we're calling this series Acts of the Holy Spirit, because this book is about the person in work, the third person of the Trinity, right, our Triune God, the Holy Spirit. And so we want to be laser-focused on what he is doing, and Jesus tells us that he is coming, and he's coming to bring power to believers. Now, that's a scary word in our culture, is it not? Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. We had better define what Jesus is talking about here when he says power. The word here for power in the Greek is dunamis. You will receive this dunamis of the Holy Spirit. Now, now when we think of power, what do we think of culturally? We think of influence. Superman, that's right, right? Right? Somebody with an S on their chest, right, that, that, that is just this super strength and has this, has this ability to go anywhere or, or do anything, right? That's not the power he's talking about. And the word dunamis actually indicates what kind of power he's talking about. Where do you think the word dynamite comes from? Or dynamic. Same idea. Same root here. So when the power of the Holy Spirit falls or comes into a people or into a church, let me tell you, there is a deconstruction that takes place so that something more beautiful and more faithful can be instructed and constructed by the Spirit of the living God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, in the Old Testament, literally the Lord himself says this, it's not going to be might. It's not going to be by your strength or your ingenuity. It's not going to be by the number of degrees that you have or the systems or the structures or the church polity that you have. What does God say? It's not going to be by any of those things. It's going to be by my what? My spirit. And you can look at it, Zechariah 4, verse 6, capital S, by my spirit, that the things of God are accomplished in and through his church. And so what we will see in Acts over and over again, we will see a people empowered to do What they could never do with resources they did not have, empowered by the Spirit. Listen, that is what obedience looks like in our lives. That God calls us to do things with resources we do not have, a power in of ourselves that we do not have, empowered solely to accomplish obedience by His Spirit. Now, back to what is the power of the Holy Spirit. What is exactly the power of the Holy Spirit that is being spoken about here? And I'm gonna tell you this that as we journey for 28 more chapters, I'm gonna tell you this, it looks surprising. That the power of the Holy Spirit looks surprising. Some of you, when you think of the power of the Holy Spirit, you're thinking supernatural gifts. Some of your minds go there like that's the power, tongues, prophecy, visions, dreams, etc. And we are going to see those in the book of Acts. We're going to see those. And I know some of you are just like, you're, you're, you're ready to see me butcher through those, okay? But hold on. The power of the Holy Spirit is so much more than just that. The power of the Holy Spirit, as you're going to see in the book of Acts, it looks like directing. It looks like redirecting. It looks like tearing things apart. It looks like putting up roadblocks. The Holy Spirit will use adversity. He will compel things forward by closing doors and opening doors. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to look like in Acts. You're going to hear things with the apostles and the disciples. You're going to hear things like, it seemed right or good to us and the Holy Spirit. Interesting that these guys who were marked by the power of the Holy Spirit lived in such a way, moving forward under the yielding of the Holy Spirit, yet with their hands open to his leading in their life. And church, we must say this, even as we go forward in the book of Acts, that we have to be more committed to the leading and following of the Holy Spirit than our own agenda. You hear me? We have to be committed far more, to following the leading of God the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church, than our agenda that we want to place over it. Now, question, are you Christ follower? Do you, do you live that way? I mean, how often do we lean on, well, hey, Kyle, I, I read my Bible. I go to church. I'm in this Bible study or that Bible study. But yet we are missing We are missing the very words of Jesus and what he says to his disciples before he ascends. Listen, you will receive something different, something foreign, something dynamic. And this will be what propels and compels you forward from here on out, church. Are are we this kind of understanding and this kind of desperate? Listen, in reading our Bibles and going to church and being in Bible study, all those things are incredible and right and good. However, we must have a nature and a disposition in our lives of desperation for the Holy Spirit to come and be alive in us. Be alive in our church. Holy Spirit, we want the power that is promised by Jesus himself. Change reorchestrate, move around, do what only you can do. Because why? We understand that we can never go or do what God calls us to do without his spirit being alive in us. We have no ability to reach those closest to us or those farthest from us. One of the reasons I think we are so, myself included, ineffectual and fragile and sometimes weak in our relationship with Jesus is because we really aren't desperate for his spirit in our life. That we're really not hungry for his spirit to operate in our lives, and instead we opt to operate in our own strength and in our own power. That's not what Jesus says. You will operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. What was the dynamic movement that gave way to this church from 12 guys to literally spreading like wildfire? It began with the power of the Holy Spirit being alive in their lives. And then second thing I think Luke would say to why. He says, when the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. That's the second thing. Is that when the power of the Holy Spirit falls and is in the life of a believer. Here is a fact. Here is the defining purpose of what the Holy Spirit does. It witnesses to Jesus. It witnesses to who he is. This defines what the power is for. This is not a power to do mighty things so that you might be seen as mighty. This is not a power to get on TV so that you can get tons of people following you or watching you. This is not a power that even terminates on itself. This is not a power that the Parks Church might be seen. This is a power that Jesus himself gives through the power of the Holy Spirit so that he might be seen. Make no confusion about it. Make no confusion why Jesus gave Acts 1-8 to the disciples. It's so that he might be seen and known throughout the world, period. Not gifts, not group gathering size. It's that we might witness to Jesus. This is a power with a clear and definitive purpose, to witness to Jesus. How do you know you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Is it that you manifest some supernatural language or activity or or anything like that? That's not what the book of Acts says. That's not what the Bible says for that matter. It says you will know you have the power of the Holy Spirit when you start witnessing to Jesus. Watch it in Acts. Watch it. It says that Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to know what follows all of those statements? Them speaking and witnessing to who? Jesus. That's why the great scholar and author John Stott would say that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a floodlight ministry that illuminates who? Jesus. It makes him known. God is not interested in creating a spiritual elite class with spiritual forces or special abilities. Jesus is interested in creating a group of people who will witness, witness to him, who are full of the spirit. And now, just like I think we had to redefine power, I think we need to look at a word, witness. 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 Oftentimes in church culture, witness, and we've laughed about it, we've joked about it, witness has taken on this like weird, like evangicube track kind of mentality where if I, just, if I just, you know, walk through these spiritual laws or these truths, then, then I've witnessed. The word witness here is the word martyrios. Martyrios. It is the same word that we get our word. Martyr, martyr. Except when the first original readers of this would have looked at it or heard it, heard the word martyrios, they would have not have thought martyr. But instead, that definition was attached later. It became our word martyr because what happened to all of the apostles, perhaps except John, they gave their lives. Literal lives for the message and witness of Christ. That they were martyred for their faith. The Holy Spirit was so powerful in them. They so desired to serve him. Their willingness was to give everything no matter the cost. They're going, listen, I'm willing to die in every facet for this. Listen, you and I cannot muster that kind of strength in of ourselves. That only comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And and, and, and so, okay, back to that definition. You say, yes, I'd die for Jesus. I I would lay down my life, right? I'd take the spear, right? I'd do it. Let's back it up a little bit. Let's back it up to the obedience he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has been calling you toward. That you have been delaying and delaying and delaying. Are you really laying down your life for Christ? Are you really surrendering all facets? Are you really dying to yourself? That is the process that the power of the Holy Spirit works in our lives that he takes away the flesh and the will of Kyle and surrenders it to the will of God. He takes away my appetite for the things that feed me and in exchange gives me an appetite for the things of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of what it means to be a witness. You see, these disciples and these early Christians, they weren't here, they weren't there to topple kings and kingdoms. They were there for one cause. They were there for one thing, to witness to Jesus, to share the hope of the gospel, that they are not saved, that their sins are not forgiven because of anything of themselves, by any adherence to the law, that they are saved and redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ alone. That was their message. That was their hope, that there's a new kingdom, there's a new king that promises a new life, and they were witnessing to this fact very winsomely. We're gonna go through speech after speech in Acts where we are gonna hear the witnessing to the glory of Jesus. But I'd wonder in our church today, maybe let's bring it in the Parks Church today. I read a line in, in one of the things I'm reading as I'm studying for Acts, and it said, it said, that, just talking about the fearfulness of being a faithful witness. And I think we all struggle with that, right? Outside of you who have the gift of evangelism, who this maybe just comes a little more fluidly to you, but if you're like me, like sometimes it, there's a fear that can grip us. And he was writing, he says, Christians in the East, so for example, Christians in, in Asia or Southeast Asia, in Vietnam where we're at, Christians in the East, they fear the raised fist, right? In persecution. But Christians in the West, they fear the raised brow. And that just hit me. Like, here I am reading the book of Acts. I I know the story, right? I know how it ends for Peter. We're going to come quickly upon how it ends for Stephen in his amazing sermon laying out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you want to know how it ends for him and his witness? Come back in a few weeks or read ahead. But yet, I fear the raised brow. I fear people going, you believe that? <laughs> you actually, you actually buy into that? You would do what? You would go where? You, 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 you would not put your kid in what? You wouldn't give all your devotion to this or to that? I think for others of us, we fear because we we fear because we don't have all the answers. We fear in, in being a witness that we're going to make a misstep or a misstatement, right? Kyle, I don't have the degrees you have. I, I don't have the biblical knowledge. I don't have that or this. And so it keeps you back. It limits you from being what the spirit of the living God wants to empower you in. Let me tell you, you're going to make a misstep. You're going to make a misstatement. We all are, we all have in being a witness to Jesus. But let me assure you of something. You don't save anyone. Your intellectual assent, your intellectual ability to articulate apologetics or anything like that, while it is good and beautiful and right, it does not save anyone. It is the spirit of the living God that saves and draws men and women to himself alone see Acts, if you just flip a few pages over, Acts chapter 4. Look at this in verse 13. On a group of men giving witness to Jesus, full of the Spirit. Now when they, they they were in front of a council who could imprison them, kill them for that matter. It says, and when they, the council, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. You get that? Like, you have to understand that these 12 men, right, these, these disciples, these apostles, there's nothing earthly powerful about them. There was no power in them that the earth would applaud, that men and, and, and folks would go, man, they're the ones to set up an organization on. They're the ones to build the church on. Nothing like that. You just read it. They were common, Uneducated, there was nothing spectacular about them except the next line. And they, the council, recognized that they had been with who? Jesus. Jesus, why? Because their witness was not just professed with their lips, but was also demonstrated with their lives. They were willing to give it all, everything. All of it. Surrender it. Take it. You think sometimes we just need to be like the blind man when he's brought before the council, giving testimony, supposedly what's to be against Jesus. And he goes, check it out, like, here's all I know, council. I was blind, but now I see. All I know is I, I couldn't see, and now I can see, and it's because of Jesus. Right? Like that, at the rudimentary level of our stories, is all of us. I was blind. I was deaf. My eyes could not see. I could not feel. I could not find what my heart longed for until I encountered Jesus Christ. That's my story. I don't have every answer. I don't have every theological question answered. I don't have every question in my mind answered at all. But here's what I know, that I was dead, and through Jesus, he brought me to life. I was numb and had a heart of stone, but now I feel because of the Spirit of the living God. They were witnesses of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says, for what cause? For what cause? Back to eight, You will be my witnesses. And he gives places. He says, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? Listen, the means is the power of the Holy Spirit. The means is that the Holy Spirit is alive in our church and in our lives, moving dynamically, moving powerfully, moving with a desperation because we can do nothing apart from him. The message we have, it's clear. It's Jesus. What do we witness to? We witness to the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. The fact that he is the only way to have life in relationship with God the Father is through him and him alone. And where does it go? The mission. To all spheres. In all places. Jesus starts right there where they are. Right there where the Holy Spirit, you'll see in Acts 2, falls in Jerusalem, in an upper room with 120 people gathered. It will fall there. And then you will see in really Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and that's why I'm just unpacking that verse, is really an outline to the entire book of Acts. You're going to see Acts 1-8 played out over 28 chapters. So it starts in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit falls, the church begins, right? And then what happens shortly after that? Persecution comes. They're witnessing to Jesus, and here comes persecution, and it pushes them to Judea, pushes them out, and they begin to scatter further out. And then the gospel begins to permeate and go across racial and ethnic lines into Samaria, right? Where no one would go, this Gentile region, this forbidden region, going, no, 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 no. With the spirit of the living God, it blows open the doors to say that the gospel is for everyone. Not just this group or that group, but for all groups. And so you see these apostles and these early church uh, leaders taking it there. And then it goes, and to the end of the earth. So question, did they accomplish that mission? Did they accomplish to the end of the earth? Well, how's this for a political pastor answer yes and no (laughs) yes in that it went to rome it made it all the way to rome and rome at the end that day was the end of the known world that the gospel witness and message through the power of the holy spirit went into rome however what you're going to notice at the end of acts chapter 28 is that there is no fitting conclusion it's not and here is the end of acts it's as if the spirit of god wanted luke to continue to write that the Spirit of God is still writing this story today, and he is, that the story of Acts and the movement of the Spirit is still happening to this day, that we see in the book of Acts that it is both this organic and organized movement of the Holy Spirit, right? And I know for some of you, you fall into either one of those sides, right? No, you see the witness of Jesus in the movement of the Spirit both naturally and in an organized way, right? We're not just saying, okay, here's what the movement of the Holy Spirit looks like or the power is like, we're just waiting for this quiver in our liver and then we go, right? No, you will see Paul plan strategically. You will see him, in fact, plant churches in, in urban centers of the day. And in planting churches, he'll, he'll raise up leaders and he'll raise up more leaders and he'll make disciples and they'll make disciples and they'll make disciples, right? Hmm, interesting, right? Following Jesus' way and Jesus' words. They'll cross ethnic lines. They'll cross, cross oceans eventually. That those disciples will cross state lines. That those disciples will then, will then cross and come out here in some way or another, find where each one of us are at, that they might declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and bear witness to him so that we sit here today at the Parks Church seeing the movement and experiencing the movement of God, the faithfulness of witnesses, the faithfulness of disciples who gave their lives to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it were just simply, <laughs> simply a neighbor coming over and sharing their story of faith. Luke would say, listen, there is no movement of God, individually or corporately, apart from the witness and power of the Holy Spirit. That the call to the end of the earth is still going on. That that command, this reality, is still as true today than when it was said 2,000 years ago. And listen to me, church, if you look at any any Jesus gospel centered revival in history. Okay, I'm not talking about the revivals where people end up with gold teeth and, 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 and like glitter all over them, like a troll from scene, you know, like a, a scene from trolls, right? You know that? I got kids, all right? But like, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about revival. We're talking about a true gospel centered movement. When you look at revival sweeping, here are the things that market Acts 1 8. There is a power of the Holy Spirit there. There is a witness, and it goes beyond them, that people are drawn to know Jesus to the ends of the earth. Listen, I I hope you're like us as elders and pastors. I long to see God move in our midst. I long to see him move in our lives and in our church like never before. I long for us to see and be desperate for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I want to take just, just the last couple minutes I have here and land this among the Parks Church for a while. for Just, just, just to ask, how, how is this going to play itself out in our local community? If you're a visitor, maybe you're, you're just peering in, that, that's fine. How are we going to, and listen to me, I hope you understand that I'm not saying that if we just, hey, hey, we do these three things, then revival happens right? Then we're, we're there, right? We're at re- no. You don't plan revival, okay? You, don't, you can't plan the movement of God. Revival is the work and prerogative of the Holy Spirit. We can't start it and we can't stop it, okay? But there are things in the life of us individually and corporately that we can do to make space and room to ask for the Holy Spirit to move in power and strength among us. And so how are, we going to, how are we going to seek that? How are we going to seek the Spirit's work? How are we going to make space for that and go, God, we want to participate. We want to participate in what you're doing. First thing is this. We need to pray. And specifically, we need to pray corporately. We need to pray corporately that God would give us his heart Every movement of God. You're going to see in Acts chapter 2. What were the people doing when the Holy Spirit fell on them? They weren't sitting around eating Subway sandwiches, all right? They were praying. They had just seen the risen Lord ascend. And they're going, what do we do? What's next? Let's pray. How many like, asking the same questions? What's next? God, there's there's this stirring, there's this long... uh, I want you. We need to pray corporately. We need to come together. And we were doing that last fall, and it was this beautiful movement of God. We're going to do that again. And we're going to be talking more about that. And even in announcements, we talked a little bit about that. And Wednesdays, gathering together. Wednesday, September 18th, the first one, at 6.30, of us just humbly seeking the presence of God, the Spirit of God. We're not seeking an emotion We're not seeking a perceived outcome. We're seeking God to get God. Amen? And there's something really beautiful, and I hope we're doing that individually, but there's something really beautiful and powerful when the church comes together and does it. Second thing is this, is is we need to get a better grasp and practice of what it means to follow Jesus. I struggle with the word discipleship here, but that's what it is. I think one of the pieces missing in the church at large and even in our church is a true understanding of what it means to live a life wholly, wholly connected to and in pursuit of Jesus. Something that the elders and our entire staff and leadership team have been walking through is kind of a biblically clarifying and convicting journey of going, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus and live in that kind of way. And not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just when we do spiritual things, but our whole lives being transformed by Jesus. Like We have to get a hold of that church. We have to understand that. And so, so beginning, and what we've been doing, walking through our, our staff and our elders and our team, walking through that, at the beginning of the year, and one of the reasons we're making such a big push for, for covenant partnership is we want to walk with those of you who have committed to this local church through that journey that journey of deconstruction, that journey of reconstruction, right, of what it means to practice and to follow Jesus, what it means to be a true disciple in this world, to to really understand and witness to Jesus, right? We can't witness to someone who we don't really know. We can't witness to something we're not actually living for. And that's why we're going, listen, we have to understand this way of discipleship better than we do. And so we wanna walk the covenant partners and I hope that you'll join us in that journey through an extensive process Of what it looks like and what it means to be a disciple. And then, third and lastly, and this is where I'll close, we need to be radically committed to sending. Radically committed to sending, and that's what I hope you picked up at the end of verse 8. The heart of Jesus is that we would go that we would actually live, hear me, that this is not a cliche statement, that we would live as a sent people. We would live with a missionary mentality in our hearts. And now when I say that again, I think people are going, okay, what foreign land, what foreign context? Listen, your faithfulness to sentness has nothing to do with the miles that you travel. It has everything to do with the spirit of the living God doing a work in you right where you are, starting right where you are in Jerusalem. And for some of you, he's going to call you, right, to the ends of the earth, to Samaria, and you had better obey and be faithful, right? And we're going to champion you, and we're going to celebrate you, right? We're going to send you out with blessing. But all of us, look at me, are to be lived and living with the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us to witness to Jesus right where he has placed us as a sent people. So we've got to be committed to that. Committed to, like last week, commissioning us all to the work of Christ. Seeing the power of God in the ordinariness of our lives. Seeing the power of the Holy Spirit move and transform and lead people to Jesus right where we are. I'm going to end this sermon like the book of Acts ends itself with no conclusion. Here's what I want. I want us as a church to really, and we did this even during worship, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our hands to what God has for us as we journey faithfully through Acts. That's all I want. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, do your work. blow up, deconstruct, rebuild, rearrange, speak, move. All of the things we have witnessed and we have seen you do, things we are going to read on a page, Lord, I pray that you would make them true in our hearts and in our church. God, may this not be some history lesson but may this be a vision of your heart moving forward in our lives and in this community. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you. And God, I pray that that desperation that we even confess or voice here this morning would not be mere lip service because it's what we're supposed to petition, but it would be a desperation that leads to action. It would be a desperation that looks like cutting things out or peeling away or stepping up, stepping into. God, whatever it looks like, Lord God, I pray that you might clearly allow us to see that you're at work, that we as a church would witness to one thing by the power of your spirit and one thing alone, and that is the, that is the grace of in the mercy, and the gospel that is your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're not looking for experience. We're not looking for what we've seen in the past. We're looking for you in all the fullness of what you have for us, for your glory. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen and amen.